This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it, my friends. And now, let us begin what is, no doubt, one of the most controversial sections anywhere to be found in Scripture. We find it in Revelation 13, the second half of it, and we start in verse 11. We began this conversation last week talking about the beast and his rise to power, his swelling to come to a place of force where he would enact and bring about some of the last pieces, the cataclysmic apocalyptic battle that brings everything to a screeching halt. Praise the Lord. I want you to write this somewhere on your notes. Jesus has already won. Write that somewhere, would you? Because a lot of times when people come to me with this passage, they're upset. They're fearful. They're anxious. What will the beast be like? How awful will he be? What does this 666 mean? And how will we avoid the mark of the beast? Can I tell you today, friends, Jesus has already won. We need not fear. We need not worry. We need not be anxious. Jesus has already won. I want you to write that down now. Because as we talk about this, it's easy to get overwhelmed and to say, how, how has Jesus already won? It looks so awful. Yes, but don't forget, this is not the end of the book. Don't forget, friends, chapter 19 is still ahead. And when we get there, we will see Jesus for who he is, the reigning, ruling conqueror who stands supremely over all things. Jesus has already won, friends. So as we talk about the mark of the beast and the second beast who arises, then let us rejoice that we need not fear either one of the beasts or their mark or the number 666. Now that doesn't mean go out and order a license plate with that number. Mo, our, our, our business administrator, told me he once got license plates handed to him at the Department of Motor Vehicles that had 666. Guess what? He handed them right back. I would have done the same. Whenever my vehicles get to 666 miles, whatever the thousands are before that, it always, I always kind of hold my breath because you just don't know. But friends, I want to tell you today, we need not fear because Jesus has already won. Today, you may encounter that victory that Jesus has for you for the very first time. At the end of this service, we're going to do an invitation and give you a chance to respond to it. I want you already thinking, how do I need to respond to Jesus today? Because you will respond in one of many ways, even if it's, I choose not to. I choose to ignore. Don't make that mistake, my friends, because Jesus has already won. Let's jump right in where we will start and where my friend Greg read for us. Verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the, it the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Herein is the origin and purpose of the second beast. Many times when people will talk about the beast, they only mention one. But friends, let's be clear, there are two. One is the beast that rose from the sea. The second beast is the one that rises from the land. We don't know how he arises from the earth. 
We don't know, but we do know this. The second beast is a land animal. He rises from the earth. We don't know what heritage he has. We don't know his genealogy, how to type him, what his Latin name might be, his species, but we know this. He will arise from the earth. We also know that he has a deceptive appearance. His appearance is as a lamb. He has two horns, perhaps intending to counterfeit the seven horns that we found in Revelation 5 on the head of Jesus. Or perhaps it's more like the ram of Daniel chapter 8. I raised my eyes, Daniel said, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high. One was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. This beast may be a lamb in appearance, but make no mistake, friends, he is not the Lamb of God. If we were to call him a lamb, we would call him the Lamb of Satan. How do we know that? Well, his voice gives him away. He may appear like the Lamb, but see it there at the end of verse 11. He spoke like a dragon. He spoke like a dragon. James Earl Jones has one of the most classic voices of all times, doesn't he? Darth Vader himself. So James Earl Jones had a CB radio. I saw this on an interview not long ago, and maybe you'll look it up too. He had a CB radio, and he was riding down the road, listening to the conversation as he went. Somebody was trying to be Darth Vader and not doing very well at it. It wouldn't do. Mr. Jones picks up the CB radio and responds to him in his best Darth Vader voice. The guy, the first one who had been trying to imitate him, said, hey, you're pretty good at that. When I heard James tell this story, I laughed out loud and said, yes, because the real thing can always be told from a counterfeit. But if you don't know what he's supposed to sound like, a counterfeit will always do. Friends, I want to tell you, if you want to know what the voice of the dragon sounds like, get to know the voice of the lamb. And when you know the voice of the lamb, it won't be hard to tell the dragon from a, a counterfeit. Listen for the voice of the lamb. Because when the dragon speaks, he sends a shiver down the spine of all those who know what the lamb sounds like. His lies begin to expose his character, and his character exposes his motives. Let's be clear. The real lamb, he died in weakness, hung on the cross, paying the penalty for the sins of those who couldn't pay for their own. This lamb pretends, friends, to have the same power, same authority, same scope, but it's all counterfeit. None of it, none of it has any merit or weight, at least not beyond that moment in time. Let's talk about the purpose of this land beast. What's he come for? He comes to secure the loyalty and allegiance of the world for the Antichrist, and his state. He demands nothing less than worship and fealty to that first beast. It was not unusual for Caesar, the Roman ruler at the time, whoever that might be, to demand such worship. After all, their whole imperial cult that they had was built around the idea that this one who was ruling and reigning as Caesar was a gift from God himself and some, in some cases, like Domitian, one of the rulers in the late first century, 
a son of God himself. That's what he wants you to think about himself, but let's remember they are not the first ones. In the book of Daniel, we remember how Nebuchadnezzar built an idol of gold on the plain of Susa. Here we find that he built this huge idol, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. The question that begs is, what did it look like? Well, for accounts that I've read, Nebuchadnezzar shaped it in his own image. This is the essence of all those who would steal the glory of God. It is to take it for themselves. I want you to take this home with you. I want you to take this home and put it in your memory banks, put it in your hearts, put it in your Bible. Don't be fooled by cheap imitations. There's only one Jesus. On Wednesday of this week, I'm sitting in my office getting ready to come to you, and this thought came to mind, the one that I've just expressed to you. And so I sat down at my computer and I typed in, don't be fooled by cheap imitations. Let me tell you about what came back. 18 million results came back in about two seconds. Would have been faster, but there's a little bit of lag on the internet. You understand that. I saw imitation warnings from ev for everything from hand cream to vehicles, from jewelry to clothing, and all of them claiming the same thing. We are the real thing. Everything else is an imitation. Oh, friends, there are lots of warnings, but there's only one real thing, and his name is Jesus. Don't be fooled by cheap imitations, and that's all that beast is. He's a cheap imitation. Let's move to the second element that I have for you. The second beast uses force to secure loyalty. Let me read it for you again in verses 13 to 17. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast that deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might yet speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. Let's be clear. Through the deception of miraculous signs, and you can put that in quotations if you like, the beast will fool many. I want you to be reminded of what happened way back in Exodus. If you have time later today, I invite you to go back to Exodus chapters 8 through about 12, where our friend Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And he performs miraculous signs authored by God to reinforce the idea, hey, wait a minute, God has sent me. And what happens? These sorcerers come along, and what do they do? Well, for many of the things that Moses and Aaron do, they replicate them. They do the same thing. In one case, with the snake, the staff that had been thrown down, when the sorcerers threw their staff down and it became a snake, what happened? 
Moses, a snake ate theirs up. The only time I've ever cheered for a snake. How about you? Can I tell you today, my friends, through the deception of these miraculous signs, those sorcerers fooled many and caused them to turn their back on God and caused them to ignore his counsel. The calling down of fire. Go to 2 Kings 19 and you'll find Elijah calling down fire on Mount Carmel. Friends, this is what they intend to do and to try to deceive people, maybe even using some of the echoes of God's word to twist. In our current culture, we see it all the time. These moments in time when people will pit Jesus against the Apostle Paul or the Old Testament against the New. And they will make it sound very Christian and they will make it sound very biblical and maybe even theological. But friends, this is where I invite you to listen for the voice of the Lamb so that you will know the voice of the dragon when you hear him. Herein, where these people are fooled, is a prime example of deception. It's not that they were stupid or gullible. It's that they didn't know what the real thing should look like. They'd kept their eyes closed and kept them shielded from God for so long that when they did encounter something supernatural, they were easily deceived. This is why, my beloved, I constantly urge you to let the word of God be in your heart, be in your mind, be in your home, so that deception will be much more difficult. The beast will come with miraculous signs and will fool many. Out of these signs comes a universal religion, a religion centered around the image of the beast, something that will reflect him. Think of the swastika that the Nazis used. Think of the bear rising up with three ribs in his mouth the Medes and Persians used. Think of the lion with eagle's wings that Babylon used. These, <coughs> these symbols, they don't just reflect something, they embody it. I remember being at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. and seeing the swastika painted on some of the planes that they have that are relics of World War II. Remember the first time I saw it, how jarring it was to see that symbol, how disturbing it was to associate that with the evil that it represents. Can I tell you today, my friends, the beast will use just such an image. Do you know what it looks like, Darren? No, but I wish I did. If I did, then maybe it would be easier for us to call it out. But I'll say this, I know what the real thing looks like. The Lamb of God is the real thing. And because Jesus has already won, I don't need another image. I don't need a trap. I can set it aside and say that's not for me because it's not true. There will be no small disturbance about this universal religion 
And there will be many who will want you to be a part of it. <coughs> That's why the beast will have no choice. Religious persecution will enforce the new religion. Those who refuse to take up this new religion will be forced to comply or executed. They will find themselves hunted down. Now, we could draw a lot of inferences from this, for we've seen it before. We saw it in, in the 1930s Germany. We saw it in the days of the Ottomans. We saw it in the days of the, the uh, Romans. <coughs> but we, say, we can say this with clarity. This time will be different. It will be universal, and all will be compelled to find their way to it. Those who refuse will find themselves dead. This mark is different than the mark that we saw in Revelation 7. Go back there and you'll see that the word of God describes it as a seal. A seal on the foreheads of those who are belonging to God himself. This is a mark, a mark that we will find on the heads or arms of those who are a part of this new religion. And in order to compel that, it'll be demanded in order that you might participate economically. A year ago, right in the middle of all the hubbub about the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine, I wrote an article for our newspaper here in town. Some of you read that article and some of you were the reason I wrote it. You see, about January or February of 21, I started getting one question over and over again. It was surprising to me at first and then as I thought about it for a while, it really wasn't that surprising. Darren is the vaccine the mark of the beast, by taking it, am I participating in the, an ungodly activity? What I said then is what I still believe now. No, no, in spite of what some wrote to me. What I didn't, what I didn't prepare for when I wrote that article for our, our modest little newspaper was how many places would pick that story up. And how many people would write to me from various places that they had seen it in this place or that place? One of the reasons that I think that happened is because there is a great curiosity about this mark. Let us pause for a moment and be reminded of what I started with. Jesus has already won. So this mark, it bears no weight for us in Christ. Because if they use their greatest weapon, friends, if they use their greatest weapon to kill me, that's the worst thing they can do me. If they use their weapon that they have of last resort to kill me, well, then I'll have to use my greatest weapon, which is to die. Because if you kill me, I'm going to go home to be with Jesus. And then what do you got? A long, tall road bump and nothing else. Let me tell you, friends, we should not fear this moment in time. 
whether it's in our lifetime or sometime to follow. For the mark, we've already decided what we think about that. And the answer is no, I will not wear it, even if it costs me everything. I will not take it. I'll not have it on me. Now that vaccine, I know there are many who think differently than me and I love them, I respect them. But friends, I wanna tell you today, this mark will be different. It will cause an economic control that the beast will have over the entire world. No buying, no selling. This was not unusual. In the first century, there were several who tried this, placing tattoos or amulets on people. And without that marker, you couldn't buy or sell in the marketplace. But there was a cut around. The stroke of Christianity tells us there were many good, faithful believers who needed the opportunity to continue business. And so what did they do? Rather than take the mark, they bribed officials. They bribed officials to give them a certificate showing they had done so. Hmm. It reminds me of a friend of mine. I'll let him remain nameless. We were going on a mission trip, and where we were going, there weren't proper beds. So he had packed an air mattress. <clears throat> if you know anything about air mattresses, you know they can be rather heavy. We were checking in at the airport, and the sky cap that we were working with weighed my friend's bag and said, you know, you're about five pounds overweight. My friend said, okay, I'm, I'm overweight. And he looked back at him and he said, that's going to cost you. Okay, it's going to cost me. And he said, that's, that's going to cost you at the counter a lot. And that's when my friend realized, this man is asking me to give him a pretty healthy tip and cut around the airport counter. So without thinking, my friend reached into his pocket, pulled out a $50 bill and gave it to him. The man marked the bag okay and sent it on through. When we got to San Francisco, my friend told me that story and I looked at him horrified and I said, so you bribed a man to come on a mission trip. <laughs> it had not occurred to him in that sequence. He was a businessman. It had not occurred to him in that sequence and he looked at me equally horrified and he said, I guess I did. And I said, let's do it differently going home, shall we? As it happens, we left the air mattress in San Francisco, not our hearts. And when we went home, we blessed somebody else with it. Can I tell you today, my friends, there's no need for such extraordinary steps. When you know what you believe, let the chips fall where they will. Because I want to ask you again, are you a citizen of this domain or a citizen of heaven? If you can only choose one, which one is it? I want to give you a few things to take home. <clears throat> one, beware of those who use force to compel obedience. That's the beast's primary weapon, force and fear. This second part goes right along with it. <clears throat> Decide in advance 
what you believe. If you wait, I can promise you it'll be too late. The third, popularity is no harbinger of truth. What is widely accepted isn't necessarily accurate. Don't allow yourself to be trapped into thinking all those people can't possibly be wrong. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Jesus said it best, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many there will be who find it, but narrow is the path that leads to life. Jesus made it clear. Now let us come to the conclusion of our talk today. The beast has a number, 666. Verse 18 ends this way. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Friends, maybe you've never heard this term before, but I want to introduce it to you today. What you're seeing in verse 18 is gematria at its finest. Gematria is the practice of assigning a numeric value to letters, creating a cryptogram, therefore, out of a name. For example, A is equal to 1, B is equal to 2, so on down the line. I think we brought a picture, I don't know. Yeah, here we go. This is an example of a, a, a use of gematria. It isn't necessarily scientific, although many people regard it that way. And the reason I say that is because for a lot of us, we've never heard of it. That's okay. What I want you to see is that it is not necessarily sequential. Sometimes there's big jumps in the numbers, and the reason for that is there are several different varieties of gematria. There's an English one, there's a Jewish one, there's a Greek one, there's a Roman one. Which one is right? <laughs> well, it depends on which side you want to build your house on. If you're really interested, you can sit down and Google gematriacalculator.com. I don't necessarily endorse it, but you're welcome to. I sat down and ran my own name through it to make sure I wasn't 666. <laughs> the answer is no. I went so far as to run all of our staff members through it as well. None of them qualified either. Let's go back to the first century and think like they would have. For them, there was only one name that would have assigned here, Nero Caesar. His name, if you calculate it out, just counting letters, and you add an N, as many times Greek, Greeks would do, <clears throat> His name would come out to 666. They would have understood this as a cryptogram for Caesar. Oh, but he's been dead centuries, Darren. It surely can't be him. No, no, it's probably not him, at least not anymore. So let's move on a little further down close to us. In my lifetime, there's been a president who was declared by many to be 666. See, so you're glad you came now. I'm getting into politics. Who is it? Ronald Wilson Reagan. 666. 
One of my staff, when we were talking about it before we came in here, she spoke wisely when she said, be careful what you name your children. Here's the problem with that. It all depends on which gematria you use. Because if you do it one letter equals one point, then yes, that's correct. But if you do it like you saw on the screen a moment ago, no. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that perhaps gematria is not our solution. Here's another element to it. Perhaps the key to understanding 666 has been lost. Have you ever lost a key? Oh, man. I'll let the guilty remain nameless, but uh, they told me a story yesterday at lunch about being in San Angelo and losing the key to key fob to their truck, calling their wife in Midland and saying, will you come to San Angelo and bring me my extra key? I bet that was a lovely call. You reckon? Perhaps the key like that one has been lost. This cryptogram may have been well known in the first century, but not now. Perhaps it was something that was enigmatic to them as well, and they didn't understand it, so perhaps we aren't meant to either. Most likely, 666 is a parody, not a specific number. You see, six is one number short of perfection. Seven is perfection. So six is one short of that. And if you triple something, anything in Greek or Hebrew, you have multiplied it to its highest value. So 666 is imperfection at its highest value. It is its maximum amount. Thus, instead of the lambs 777, 666 is a parody, a parody of imperfection. I want to send you home with a couple of things before we give you a chance to respond to this. Let's move on to take it home. Don't allow yourself to be trapped into speculation about who wears 666. Rest instead on the one who wears 777. This, my friends, is something we can be sure of because this, this, we know Jesus has already won. Finally, fear not what has already been conquered. We know the beast loses. Now, we've got a few chapters left where he looks awful strong. But we know the beast loses. And when he looks awful strong and is in terrifying in appearance, but don't forget, his time is short and his destiny certain. I want to ask you, friends, what about you? Is your destiny certain? Now we come to that place I told you about earlier, a chance for you to respond. What will you do with the Lamb of God? You have a couple of options. One is you can respond to him as Savior. I did that when I was a child. Came to faith in Christ at a vacation Bible school. I was the child nobody wanted in their classroom, let me tell you. ADHD on the nth degree. And yet it was in that vacation Bible school at a small church in rural Collin County. The Spirit of God whispered into my heart and called me to himself. 
Is the Spirit of God doing that for you today? If he is, here's what I want you to do. When we stand up to sing, you don't wait for somebody else to go first. You come. You come. Since we've reinstituted the invitation, not one person has walked the aisle. Somebody go first. Meet me right down here. Let's talk about how you can encounter the Lamb of God. Here's another alternative. Maybe you did that and you never got baptized. You never took the first step of Christian obedience. Today, friends, is a good day to do exactly that. No, you don't have to be baptized today to be obedient, but we can certainly get the process started. My friend Thomas Pittman, he went home to be with the Lord not long ago. He was in his late 70s. The reason I bring him up is because Thomas got saved when he was 12 years old at an RA camp. He was 12 years old. He came home, told his parents he'd wait to get baptized until he was a little older. Well, he did. He waited 60 years. I baptized him when he was 72 years old. With tears in his eyes, he said, Darren, share my story. Don't let people believe that they can wait that long. You need to take that first step of obedience. Come down and talk to me about it. You need to be a part of a church family. We want to be joining hands with you. Come down and talk with us about how you can do that. If you need to spend some time in prayer at this altar, it's open for you. This is your moment of decision. Pray with me, please. Gracious Jesus, you have already won, and for that we rejoice. My prayer today is that we would remind ourselves that Jesus, you, in your victory, stand supremely over all that. We don't have to worry about how it all works out. We don't have to understand it all. All we have to do is trust you and trust ourselves into your care. And so, Jesus, today we do that. I pray for the one, whoever it is that's here, that needs to step out from where they are and respond today. Would you do your work, Lord Jesus, to accomplish that in their lives? I pray for the one who needs to say, I will be the one that steps out first. Will you do your work, Lord Jesus, here, right now, in each of us? And we thank you today, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.